We had bootstrapped the company. We were a profitable company. So a lot of that money went to founders. And this is the alternate path that nobody talks about. Everyone talks about raise money from the get-go and go on this cycle of 18 months and keep growing and keep shooting for unicorn porn. Some businesses, you need to absolutely raise money. But do you need to raise money for the 100th AI app or the 100th copycat tool? You don't. In this episode, I'm talking to Lloyd Lobo, co-founder of Boast.ai, a startup that's helping companies receive tax credits from their R&D investments. Last time I checked, they're doing about $10 million in revenue, but we'll confirm during this episode. Lloyd was also the co-founder of Traction, a community of over 100,000 entrepreneurs and innovators, all connecting via podcasts, meetups, and conferences. Actually, I was just at their last conference in Vancouver, over a thousand people showed up. It's crazy. We're going to talk about number one, the secrets of community building. Number two, how long it took before Lloyd actually paid himself a salary. And number three, details of the recent sale of Boast.ai. He recently sold a bulk of his shares and became a board member. I'm going to try to dig into the details. And if you can't answer a question, you both have to take a shot of hot sauce. That's a light. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of marketing on mars today we got a local a local guy from from Van, from you're not from vancouver but uh but lloyd you've you've been in vancouver for a long time i've met you at a couple of conferences we got lloyd lobo from um from a company called boast and basically what boast does is they help companies access billions of dollars in r d tax credits um and they've 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 grown to over a hundred employees, and he's the founder. We got the founder here on the call, so I'm super excited, Lloyd. Thank you for jumping on the call. Excited to be here. Love your energy. Love your vibe. So I mean, uh, my co-founder lives in Vancouver, and I live in San Francisco. And oh. we we started as a remote first company. We got offices in San Francisco, Vancouver, Calgary. Toronto, Montreal, many different places. But Vancouver has been a good home ground for us. So it's my home away from home because, you know, as a part of building Boast, we also build Traction, which is a community of over 120,000 founders. We host the big Traction conference and we do that in Vancouver. The, the story there was the first conference we, you know, we did the conference in San Francisco and all mm. these big name speakers would come to the conference, do their talk, and leave, go back to their office. As soon as we started doing it in Vancouver, people would stay for two days. And, you know, like we've had folks from MailChimp and we've had folks from Zapier and Dropbox and Airbnb and, and Calendly. You name it, some of those, Calendly, you name it, some of the biggest companies, Atlassian, Expensify. So yep. some of the biggest names and inevitably a lot of them end up then you know, expanding teams in Vancouver and whatnot. But it's it's a good experience when you do a conference not in San Francisco because then people don't go back. They go and they mingle and they merge with the community and they spend time. So that was a, that was a hack. It's like, hey, I don't want to host this conference just to invite speakers on stage. I want to actually mingle with them and get to know them. And so do all the attendees. So what's the best way to do it? Don't do it in do it in an exotic city. And Vancouver is beautiful. It's a two-hour flight from San Francisco. Um, 
around the conference, we'd always host something on like Grouse Mountain, uh, things like that, where mm. where the speakers and the attendees coming from all over can experience Vancouver. And we always kept it small. We limited the conference at a thousand people, right? If it, if it's bigger than a hotel and needs a conference venue, like a like a unionized venue, then we don't want to do that. We wanted to keep it small, intimate, and a thousand is not intimate as it is. But uh, it's it's good enough and invite good speakers, have great food and uh, a place for people to mix and mingle was was our jam. And, you know, through building that traction community, which started as meetups, we started to do you know, when, when we started Boast, nobody would talk to two guys who are working out of a spare bedroom. Right. We're competing with big four accounting firms saying, mm-hmm. hey, give us your data. We'll get you R&D money. So the best way to short circuit that was we started hosting meetups pizza nights and we'd invite we had access to good speakers so we'd invite a great speaker to give a very tactical talk usually conferences at the time back then they were very high level aspirational talks but founders want to know how do i get my first 10 customers how do i hire a salesperson how do i raise money yeah. what are the top failures so we started inviting successful entrepreneurs to give those talks in small groups and the meetups went from like 10 people 20 people 50 people, every time more and more people would come. And one day we did a meetup at the co-working space, and this was in Calgary, and and uh, 200 people showed up. And the co-working space, the guys who ran it said, hey, you can't, it's not a meetup anymore, this is a conference. Yeah. And then as, as we were looking to go blow it up in a conference, Ray Walia of Launch Academy is a good friend of mine. We decided to collaborate, host the conference in Vancouver. He had all the logistics skill set and background. Uh, we had developed quite a network in terms of speakers and and the ability to put on good content. So the, we fused the two and two and came up with Traction Conf and you know seven eight conferences, millions of views on YouTube, podcast, uh, and and so here we are. But yeah, that that uh, that okay. is uh, my my passion on the side. So we're going to dive into all of that, by the way. We're going to dive into the podcast. We'll dive into the community. We'll dive into Boast. Um, but this just sets the stage. The fact that you're calling a thousand-person event intimate, guys, this guy's legit. Lloyd is legit. I've been wanting Lloyd to come on the show for a long time. Uh, thank you for finally making time. There's a tradition on the show where we start off the show with a shot of hot sauce. You got something prepared, I know. Um and, and, and basically, throughout the interview, after we take the shot of hot sauce, throughout the interview, I'm going to ask you tough questions, progressively harder, ideally. And I just want to know how the heck you did it all. And everyone else listening wants to know how you did it. No fluff. Cut the bullshit. Just get right into how you did it. Uh, and every single time you cannot answer a question, lights will flash behind. I think you see some of the lights going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, when that light goes off... We take another shot of hot sauce and then you plead the fifth. You can avoid the question. That's basically the, the theme of the show. So I got a hot sauce that I got from Mexico. It's a habanero. I'm going to keep it light today because I didn't eat any food. What do you have for us today? What's your weapon of choice? I got three kinds of hot sauces. So I got fire habanero, right? I got green habanero. And I got this thing called ghost smoke. And apparently this is the spiciest. So yes. I don't know where I want to start. You know, like if you, if you, uh, you know, some people like to start heavy and then, and then reduce the weights and, and work themselves down. Or some people like to progressively overload, right? I mean, you get stronger and stronger. I think, I think it's green. Progress. You should progress. Yeah. 
I feel because you're talking 90% of the time, by the way, I'm just going to be here to listen. Yeah, I think I think this green habanero is going to be the lightest. So I'm going to I'm going to okay, take a shot of this like a cap shot or how do you do it? Um I I have a, a cap shot sounds good. I have a spoon, a big ass spoon. So I'm just yeah. going to go here. Dude, this is a lot of um this is a lot of hot sauce here. I'm going to try to go light. I'm going to try. Oh my god, you filled up the whole thing? Yeah. Um okay, if you uh if you if you can't speak for the next, if you can't speak for the next two minutes, I'll just rap your favorite rap song. Um, I, am I allowed to drink water? Yeah, you're allowed. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Oh my god! This was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I may have picked. The, I may have picked the. Oh man! I, but it tastes good. It tastes. It tastes really good. I love. I love the green because it's got like cilantro and stuff in it. So it tastes good. The fact that you have flames on your hat with your last name, I thought, man, I thought you're gonna go. I thought you're gonna be good, man. I thought you're gonna be good with spice. I I got a you know my parents are from India. We got Indian background, and I okay. think um, you know there were Portuguese in India way back when, and so the last name comes from there. Lobo means wolf in Portuguese, and mm -hmm. and so my culture is used to eating spicy food. So which yeah. is fine. We'll, we'll see. I I can't I can't really handle it. You know I'm 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 considered the wuss, but I'm gonna try. See, I I did. I, this wasn't bad. This wasn't bad. Yeah, not not all wolves are strong. Some wolves are wusses, and it's okay to be a wussy wolf. That's fine. <laughs> That's totally fine as long as you're in a pack, because a wolf pack means community. Wolf pack. Wolf pack is community. Okay. Yeah. Um. We're going to get into everything community, but first, let's give some love for your, to your current company, Bose. Let's talk about it a little bit because Bose, there's an interesting story to how it started and where, and the position that you're at now. Um, give us a little bit of a background of, about Bose, how you got started and where you guys are at right now. Definitely. So my co-founder, Alex, and I, we've known each other since university. We were partners in every project. We've known each other since we're 19. We did engineering together. Yeah. We, after engineering, he got into like Johnson and Johnson's engineering leadership program. They pick like two a country every year. And I went and started working at startups. Then he did, he did a, after working at Johnson and Johnson, he did a startup that failed, felt he needed to, you know, study accounting and finance. He failed because his principles in accounting and finance weren't strong. Mm -hmm. And that unique combo of accounting and finance with engineering took him into the world of R&D tax credits. Right. He, he got a job doing R&D tax credit consulting. Now, if people don't know, globally, there's hundreds of billions of dollars that governments give out to fund businesses through these R&D tax credits. The issue is it's a cumbersome application process because you got to always look back and figure out what you did in R&D that qualifies. It's prone to frustrating audits and who wants a visit from the tax man. Right. And then receiving the money takes a long time. So. After Alex worked in the R&D tax consulting space, he called me and he's like, man, I want to do a company in this space, uh, right? Uh, we leave a lot of money on the table. It's very manual. And I was working at another startup and all my life I'd only worked at startups after, after school. Mm. And I just jumped at the opportunity to work with him. And what had happened prior was I was working at this startup in Philly and, you know, the environment was very hustle porn, right? Like yeah. you see the hustle, hustle culture. And and I love that. I mean, it's it's fine. My wife uh, was a resident at Drexel University, so she was working 800 hours a week. 
So I used to work till eight, nine. I was running GTM there. And one week I started going home at like six, seven, six, right? And I get an email saying, hey, I used to like it. You're in the office till eight, nine, 10. What's causing you to go home so early? Your wife's a resident physician. So she's working hundred hours a week. Um, why are you going home? And I'm like, I sank in my chair. I'm like, my parents were visiting from Toronto, my parents, uh, and I, I hadn't seen them in a long time. And so I was going home. And and that day, I like just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to react, but I said, hey, my parents are in town. That's why I'm going home. And that day, Alex called me, right, wow. and he, with, with this, let's do this company uh, together and whatnot. And I said, I don't care what company we do, man. As long as we build the company that we want to work for, as long as I get to build the company that I want to work for, I'm right. in, right? Um, people build companies, not the other way around. If you treat your people with love and help them grow, they will treat your business with love and your business will grow. So through that time, we started Boast. It was started as a consulting firm, Boast Capital, where it was doing R&D tax consulting. And then we worked on other projects. We worked on a project called Automatically, which was 2013, which was a chatbot built on top of Zendesk. Uh, in 2013, nobody knew what chatbots were. Right, and it failed. Wow. We couldn't get the tech working. Then I did another company, which was incubated by Bessemer Ventures, called Speakeasy. It was an AI sales assistant. This was 2015. Before the call, it tells you yeah. everything about the meeting. During the call, it guides you yeah. through the selling process. After the call, it updates your CRM. Even that failed with thousands of users ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And so we had this boast capital going on as a consulting firm, and we're like, hey, we have all these learnings. Why not just you know, apply these learnings to turn Bose Capital into a software company, and we, you know, reincorporate 2017 as in as Bose AI, right? Before everyone started using the term AI uh, in their in their domain. So 2017, we incorporate Bose.ai, and the the benefit there and the key learning there was customers want an outcome. So for my failures, and, and not only doing my own companies and failing, but prior to that, I had only ever worked at startups, right? So I worked at, I think, three or four startups. And I realized through that time is we all build stuff and we sell it. Customers don't want products. They want software. They want an outcome. I mean, customers don't want software. They don't want products. They want an outcome. Customers sign up for an outcome, right? So you don't sign up for a gym membership. You want a six-pack. You don't sign up for marketing automation. You want more leads. So customers want an outcome. And at Boast, what we, we you know with with automatically and Speakeasy, we were trying to jam the software down them. And if I knew then what I know today, I would have just said, "Hey, you know what? We can't get the tech working. Customers don't care about the tech anyway. Just Wizard of Oz this, right? Do it manually behind the scenes and get them the outcome by any means possible. They don't right? care how it's done. Just get it done. Exactly. So automatically was a chatbot built on top of Zendesk. Look at historical data and respond like a real human. Now, when we did touring tests on Twitter and everything, it could work at 90% accuracy. When we tried to launch it, of course, you can't launch on a Salesforce and Oracle because huge security reviews. So we had to push it on Zendesk, the open marketplace. We got it in there over a weekend. Zendesk customers were downloading it. We got hundreds upon hundreds maybe in the, in, in the first couple of weeks. This is pre-product hunt existed. So mm. Zendesk pushed it out. That hundreds of people sign up, went into thousands, and they would all say, make this stop because it would look at historical data 
and it would create a response, but it was gibberish. And I we realized then that Zendesk back in the day didn't have large enterprise customers. They had small customers, 20, 30, 40 person companies mm-hmm. that didn't have a lot of historical data. So this thing would look at and, and spread gibberish. So then we made it edit or approve. So it created a response and you can edit or approve, but it was still spinning gibberish and we gave up. And, and similar learnings at Speakeasy in the sense we couldn't get the tech to work. And then I realized if I, if I knew then what I know now, would have just asked the customers, right? Like, hey, what are your most common questions and what are the answers? And just, just done a lookup table and fed it to them. Customers yeah. want an outcome. We were beating ourselves that, oh, we can't get the tech to work, can't get the tech to work. Customers are not buying tech, they're buying outcomes. So at Boast, the perfect thing after those, we realized that, hey, we have paying customers at Boast, you know, consulting firm. We know they'll give us their data and all they care about is getting money. More money, faster, for less time and risk. There's all these R&D credits. If they work with consulting firms, it's manual, it's error prone. It takes a long time to apply. It's cumbersome. It's, uh, it's prone to audits and getting this money takes a long time. But we have these learnings. So what if we can ingest this data automatically normalize this data and then leverage the insights to use workflow to get them more money to keep the documentations right and then eventually integrate lending into it to give them the money sooner so they don't have to wait from the government mm-hmm. right? wow. and, and, and so that that bet worked out because we had paying customers those customers was paying us for an outcome wow. they didn't care if we did it manually or whatnot so we started slowly we reincorporated as or we incorporated a new company called boast ai in 2017 and we started creating software and so that was the journey we grew 2017 uh to late 2020 we grew to over eight figures in revenue we had bootstrap took no funding we had like 30-ish people um, when we brought in the growth equity investors and uh, and so it was a great, great journey. And in parallel to that, our biggest sort of lead gen engine was community. We'd host a lot of events, traction conference, uh, traction webinars. We do like two live webinars a week, man. Insane, right? Hundreds of people wow. would join. That's right? insane. There's no marketing till like, I think till 10 million in revenue. There's no marketing, no marketing person per se, right? Like it was, it was this community coupled with BD people. So our business development or sales reps were more like community managers that go to events, that shake hands, that kiss babies, that help people, right? And mm. uh, and make connections for them, and and the referrals would come through. So that was uh, that was the thing. And and so while growing our business. We also helped several companies grow, and that that was the that was the goal, right? Is like, hey, we're failed founders. Mm-hmm. What better way to soak in knowledge to grow our business if we're also opening that ecosystem to other people, so we all learn together, grow together, and that evolved from Love like that. those 10, 10, 20 person meetups into traction as a conference, and then a community, which is now like one hundred and twenty plus thousand subscribers. Right, and we we send like newsletter every week. We have a podcast every week, you know, YouTube, and then the and then the conference. And so, as the traction community grew, you could see like our trajectory of Boast, the revenue group. But we never called it the Boast community. We called no. it Traction because ultimately the Boast vision was to help innovators become successful, to help innovators change the world. Every dollar invested in innovation returns twenty to the economy. That's, that's a stat, right? 
from vaccines to robots to clean drinking water is a function of innovation. Yet most innovations die on the vine. Why? Because they don't have the funding and they don't have the resources to become successful. Yet in the last 15 years, more than 50% of the Fortune 500 companies have evaporated because they don't know how to innovate. So we're like, hey. So they just have all this money. They have all this money, but they're not innovating with it. And it's just like sitting there and just. They they don't have the know-how. So we're like, hey, can we get you the funding and also the resources? So Boast was the funding, right? You give us your technical data. We stitch your technical data and financial data to get you these R&D credits. But now the R&D credits takes a long time to get from the government. So then we raised a $100 million debt fund to lend to those companies so they don't have to wait. Now yeah. we have this unique data set of your research and development data, your financial data. Nobody collects this. And your banking data because I need your banking data to make sure you're a stable business so I can lend you that money before the government pays it out. So I got this unique data set of combining R&D with, with financials. So now I can tell you what projects you should invest in, who you should hire, who you shouldn't. I can basically do AI-driven engineering productivity. Yeah. And that is, a, that is the next big bet from both. It started with automating R&D tax credits to then lending R&D. So R&D tax credits, R&D funding, and now going into R&D analytics. And so when you're starting out, right, like many people ask us, why did you call it the Boast community? And when you don't have product market fit and you create a community around your product, nobody's going to want to come. They're going to be like, you're trying to sell me your product? Why should I come to your no, events? Right? Exactly. But we're like, keep why it separate. do people keep it separate? Exactly. Like HubSpot, yeah. when they didn't have software, they built the inbound community, right? Inbound marketing. Now, yep. I'm an engineer. Everything I learned about marketing in the early days was from Googling and finding information, which was all HubSpot. All the content on SEO and digital and SEM was all HubSpot's content because nobody else was writing it like 15 years ago, right? Yeah. HubSpot was actively writing. Everything else was offline. Everything was, all marketing was offline, like, you know, print and ads. And so I learned everything about marketing through HubSpot, but their community was called Inbound. It wasn't called the HubSpot community. And then one day no. they had software, right? And the same thing. So we said, why do people want R&D credits? to invest in R&D? Why do they want to invest in R&D? To grow their business. So then why don't we create a community around helping companies grow their business? Grow their business. Exactly. that's what they want. Exactly. And traction yeah. was the term. And so through Boast, we got them the funding and now the analytics on how to innovate faster, accelerate innovation. And traction gave you the resources and the connections. And so that marriage worked really well. All right. So... I'm going to dive in. We're probably going to dive into a little bit more about Boast and the community. But just on a high level, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Rapid fire. Just just give me the answer. And if, you, if not, we'll do a hot sauce. We just I just want to know where Boast is at right now. So a couple of questions. Number one, did you guys raise any money uh, aside from the $100 million debt financing? Yeah, yeah. So we... We bootstrapped to eight figures, like 10 million or so. And then we took capital, a combination of debt, debt, two kinds of debt. One is like a lending facility to lend against R&D credits. That is 100 million. Um, we also took venture debt. And then we took growth equity, which is capital to not only fund the business, but liquidate the founders. But you guys never did like a series, like a series A or whatever. I didn't do any of that uh, stuff. Uh, 
on paper, it's called a series A, but really it was like, you know, we, we had bootstrapped the company. We, we did a technically a series A, but we were a profitable company. So a lot of that money went to liquidate founders and, uh, and then the rest a little bit went on the balance sheet. This is straight, well, being straight truth here. And this is the alternate path that nobody talks about, right? It's yeah. like everyone talks about raise money from the get-go, you know, take a seed round, dilute like 10, 20%, take a series A, dilute another 10, 20%, and go on this cycle of 18, 18 months and keep growing and keep shooting for unicorn porn. It's like a drug, right? The issue with unicorn porn, I, I'm, some businesses you need to absolutely raise money. But do you need to raise money for the 100th AI app or the 100th copycat tool? You don't, right? You can build sustainable businesses. Now, see, the thing is, going into a fundraise, is always a founder and a VC mentally is not aligned. VC wants to show a return to their LPs, right? That's the reality. And uh, because they take lots of hundreds of millions of dollars in LP money, and they can't do a math around, okay, I got to invest in 10 or 20 companies this company is going to return 2x, this will return 3x, this will return 5x. They don't structure their portfolio like that, right? They, they look at every company like, is this company going to be a $10 billion company or not? Back in the day, maybe five, six years ago, it was a billion. But every, every company is like, is it going to be a five, $10 billion company or not? And if it can't, they won't invest, right? So automatically, they're like, listen, I got to return money to my investors. And think about it. If you invested in a VC, you're locked for 10 years. In 10 years, you want to see a significant return, right? As an yeah. LP. So I understand that. But they come in with this, like, I got to return a significant outcome to my LPs in the next seven to 10 years. And if I don't show that growth pattern, then I can't raise the next one and the next one. Founders don't come thinking like, oh, I'm going to exit in so much time or whatever. They're like married to the idea for the most. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. what I tell founders is you got to ask yourself this question is like, what is my personal definition of success? How much money do I want in my bank account? Is there a version of the company I don't want to work for? Like write down those things. And most importantly, figure out the life you want to live and design your work around it. Because if you raise money and you, it's not your definition of success, but some VC's definition of success, you're not going to end yeah. up being happy. You're going to end up being burnt out. Right? So for it's sure. very crucial. And yeah. so there's this alternate path, right? So you go the VC route, you raise, you know, seed, series A, series B, and you're on this path to build unicorn. Now, I've only ever worked at startups and pre-boast, none of those startups worked out. So I think the math holds true that 99% of the companies fail. Right? Now, after a series of failed companies, I mean, I'm not young anymore. I'm not in my 20s. So my wife was like, hey, if you do another zero-sum game, and it fails this time, then you're gonna have to get a job somewhere. I can't keep running the family. My wife's a doctor, right? She's like, I can't keep mm. running the family. It's just been way too long. And so mm. that was playing on the mind. My co-founder, Alex, was anti-fundraise, anti-pure equity. And when was this? When was this again? This was like uh, during the pandemic, like late 2020. 2020? Right? Yeah. Late 2020 is when we when we late 2020 is when we took it. And, yep. and so then, then when we started talking, so then there's this route one is you raise VC all the way around, like angel VC, and you keep diluting yourself. Yeah. And maybe by the time you exit, maybe you own 10, each founder owns 10, 20%, maybe, right? Uh, the next route is, you know, private equity. You 
you sell half, you grow the company to maybe 15, 20, maybe 20 plus million and private equity buys you out, right? The other route is you just bootstrap personal money, sweat equity, customer money, and you eventually sell, right? And then the, there's another round called growth equity, which is a compromise between, which is an in-between, not a compromise, in-between PE and VC. What growth equity does is, let's say you're 5, 10 million in revenue or line of sight. You're growing efficiently, capital efficiently, meaning you're not burning cash. You have a, you're profitable or you have line of sight to profitability. What growth equity firms want to see is they want to return 5 to 7x their investment in five to seven years, right? It's mm-hmm. calm conversation. And we usually when growth equity invests, they liquidate the founders. So what will happen is, mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll invest in companies that are capital efficient or predominantly bootstrapped. They don't want to buy out other investors on the cap table, yada, yada, clean cap table. So what happens there with growth equities, let's say you've now bootstrapped, grown capital efficiently like us. We, in route to 10, we were 30-ish, maybe 40 people max, right? Profitable. So now you're selling your shares, but that money isn't, doesn't have to go on the balance sheet because you're profitable. It can go mm-hmm. in your personal account, right? And, right. Then, and then what happened is as a bootstrap company, now you own the rest. So you, you've cashed out. With PE, you sell most of it. PE runs yeah. it. With growth equity, you've created liquidity for yourself. So you can buy that house or you can, you can you know, chill a little bit, right? Like you don't have to be stressed like my hair is on fire. Yeah. And then you still own a significant portion and you can continue running it. So we chose the growth equity route because it was like yeah. it, de- it, it de-risked our downside and helped us participate in the upside, upside. For, the long, for the long run. If, yeah. I was, if I wasn't bootstrapped though, if Boast wasn't bootstrapped, me and my co-founder wouldn't be able to go down that path and it would have been a zero-sum game. So now we're like de-risked, right? Um, I left the Bay Area to take a break, live in Dubai. I mean, right now I'm in Toronto visiting my parents for the summer. Oh, okay. But 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 moved moved around quite a bit, and and like next week I'm going to the San Francisco, which is home base for me. But we we moved. We just ejected out of the environment because when do you get the opportunity to be able to live anywhere you want again? Yeah. And um, me and my co-founder transitioned to board only roles. Both uh, we brought in a new CEO who used to be the CTO at Sage Intact, which is Big accounting, yeah. tax, software oh, trading at over ten billion. That's a good right? fit. Yeah, good fit. That's a young, good fit. And young, young exper- CEO. Not young. I mean, experienced. Um, I mean, I'm not young either. <laughs> I, I, I look young. I'm, I'm 43. <laughs> Holy smokes! <laughs> I'm 43. So, so, so anyone who's 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 10 years is more experienced than me is. You, you get you get the drift, right? But you'll see my LinkedIn pictures like leaving the grind and designing the life I wanted to live and focusing on health actually, I think put my age from forties to thirties, right? I'll, I'll share like before, after pictures that I'll drop in the, in the, in the chat here that you can, you can see from, I've I've seen them. I've seen them on your LinkedIn. It's, it's quite incredible. And, and maybe not on this episode, maybe on episode two, you'll take off your shirt and then everyone can see exactly what, what we're dealing with. You, you you really got like yeah you've you've gotten to good shape 
So it's been yeah, you can you can see the face itself, watch. right? Like you know, like when you are stressed out, stress, depression has a face, and and when you're calmer, you're happier, and a big part of it. A lot of us we talk about like oh, mental health, this that, mental health, stress, burnout, you know. And and then there's all these coping mechanisms we do, right? We yeah. take medication, we do meditation, right? Medication, meditation, and masturbation. As a joke, masturbation means all the other, uh, all the other stupid shit you do to cope with the stress. But yeah. if you're not attacking the root cause, maybe it's the environment, maybe it's the people you surround yourself with, toxic people, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. If you don't attack the root cause, everything you do is just going to be a coping mechanism. So we decided to just eject out and see, and it 10x the quality of my life, right? Because there's you, many places. How, how involved? How involved are you now with Boast nowadays? As a board member, yeah, you know, as active as I need to be. But as a board member, you don't want to micromanage the leadership team. So I spent a lot of time with the CEO, advice, um, uh, historical perspective, perspective on the future, the vision, any connections I can make given the traction community. So that's what I also joined the board of a Canadian public company called Wishpond, which is out of Vancouver. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I just joined, just joining the board of uh, this company called Plato HQ, Plato, P-L-A-T-O-H-Q.com, which is a platform, largest, one of the largest platforms and communities for engineering leaders. And um, I'm representing Saster Fund on the, on the board. Wow! Uh, on at the behest of Jason Lumpkin, so doing that stuff, then been writing a book on uh, uh, on building community. The community has been community has been a part of my life. I was a refugee of the Gulf War in the in the '90s, and security had lapsed, and the community came together to evacuate people to safety. Then, when we built Boast, the community, the traction community, helped us bootstrap. I, I think everything I am is because of this community. Our investors came from this community. They came to a traction event. They're like, who runs this? Uh, got on a call with them. They said, hey, do you want to be a venture partner? Um, you know, and we'll give you like points for deal flow. And I said, hey, I have a business to run. So I don't know if I have the time to be a venture partner and shoot you deal flow. But if anything comes naturally, I'll send you. And they're like, hey, what's your business? So I started talking about both. And they're like, this is super interesting. And the deal happens. Some of my closest wow. friends have come come through it. I live in Dubai now. Everyone I've met in the startup ecosystem is from the traction community or some connection from the traction community. Um, so it's it's that community keeps giving. And and the third time the community helped me more more than that actually many many times right. So help the the community helped us evacuate as refugees. The community helped us bootstrap the company. Um, I lost a kid. Um, couple of years uh, in 2018 we were expecting twins and uh one of the twins passed away in the womb um mm. four months pre-delivery and so we had to pull out our other child five four months four and a half months premature so she spent time in the incubator uh, and uh and my wife heavily relied on the advice and support and love from this community called Physicians Moms Group, and they were all sharing advice mm. and everything else. And we're in this environment where the kids were on this in these incubators, and all babies were passing, passing away next to us. And so all we had was hope and prayer and and this community. And after I left the day to day at Boast, you know, no matter how good the financial outcome for a founder, when you sacrifice your family and your life for the business, that is your first love. The business is your first love. The business is your baby. 
And, and so no matter how good the financial outcome, leaving a company you founded and built your identity around is fraught with mental health issues, no matter how good the financial outcome, right? Yeah, it was like, it was like almost, almost a decade that you were running post, uh, post and post capital and post AI combined. It was like a, a decade. Right? Yeah. And so like, so time. like you, you build your identity around it. Right. And, and so when you leave, all of a sudden it creates this void, meaning you build a community, your employees, your your team are your friends, your first people. I mean, when we didn't have money, we had this with this thing where every year we'd do a company offsite, take them the team to Cabo, Costa Rica, Hawaii. Years where Alex and I didn't take any money from the company, we still sacrificed and took the team on these offsites. So the the company was that first community. And I felt when I when I left the day-to-day, I'd lost my friend. So I I got depressed. I got uh, started eating, drinking, and I started to fill that void by calling all my friends and be like, "Meet me here, meet me there. I'll, you know, we'll go party here, party there." Just trying to fill that void, and I got extremely fat, overweight, uh, insufferable to my, you know, loved ones, and, and you know, I, I, my wife comes to me one day and she's like, "Listen." If you die because of your unhealthy choices, we're going to be the only ones left holding the bag. So it's time you make a change, right? You do something about it because you've barely spent any time with the kids. You're running the business. And so you never gave us any time. Then this deal happened. And after the deal happened, you know, we were all supposed to go on a big trip to Bora Bora. And I kept telling her, oh, we'll celebrate in Bora Bora once the deal happens. And she would always say, your family doesn't care about the one, two vacations a year. We care about spending time with you every day, dinner without the phones, like, you know, intimate time without your phone, distraction free. And I'd be like, no, no, let the deal go through. We'll take everyone to Bora Bora. The Bora Bora trip never ended up happening because after the deal, I, I got COVID. I got bilateral COVID pneumonia. I almost died. I was hospitalized. And then we came back to the situation where the company exploded to from like 30, 40-ish people to 130-ish people. And then, you know, I, I stepped away from the day to day and, and somewhere in between my daughter comes to me and said, dad, you've gotten worse after the fundraise. You said, you know, your biggest regret, if, if anything were to happen to you after COVID, your COVID hospitalization, you didn't spend enough time with us. And I said, listen, we've got so many more people in the company. You got to make sure we do right by them. And she mm-hmm. says, why don't you work for a founder who thinks like that? So I can have my dad back. Right. And then a couple of weeks later, we had a third child. And for the third time, I wasn't at home when my wife went into labor. I was at a company uh, offsite, as a business offsite. And I get, I pick up the phone and there's like 20 missed calls and my wife's in labor. I barely made it to the birth of my third child. And then I stepped out of the day to day. So there's all these things playing in my head because, you know, you leave the company that you founded. And this was your first love. All of a sudden, you don't have that anymore. Yeah. And and so when I went home, I hugged my wife and I, I cried and I said, I'm really sorry for all the times I wasn't there for you. Today, the company doesn't need me and you're the only person here. But then I, over the months, I got really depressed. I couldn't fill that void. And I, and I started filling that void with garbage, eating crap, partying, you know, meaningless socialization. And one day she says, if, you know, you got a second chance, you survived a very bad COVID case. You had like bilateral COVID pneumonia. And you've gone into bad habits, drinking, smoking. This is eating you alive that you're not in the company to see out the vision. 
But ultimately, if something happens to you, your kids are going to suffer. So it's time you make a change. And so the fourth time a community saved me is that day as I lay in bed in the dark of the room, I stare across the room and there's my Peloton bike. It's turned into a clothing rack. And I pulled off the clothing and, uh, and I'm like, it's been, it's been this clothing rack for two years. I hop on and then feel very connected to the Peloton community. One ride turns into two, into four, into five, into next thing you know, I have like a two week streak going on. And, and that Peloton community then changed my life in terms of fitness. So I'm a big, big believer in community. It's been, it's been in my DNA throughout. And so I felt like when I came on free time, I said, what do I do in my free time? I mean, there's only so much working out and hanging with the family you can do. So I, I should do something productive with my time. And I said, as a homage to community, I'll write a book on building communities and chronicle all the communities that have touched me. So, so, so that's what I did. Okay. So, so let's dive into community. Uh, you're, 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 you're a good storyteller. This is fantastic. So we'll dive into community. Before we do that, just a quick question. And some people are probably thinking this. How much did you exit for? Like, what, what did you get personally? So that, that? That's, a, that, that's, a, that's a hot shot, but it was a, the, the hot sauce shot. But it, it, was, a, it was a good number. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good number. I mean, like, our, our raise is all very public, so people can deduce it. Because <laughs> the, uh, re the revenue was like 20 mil. Right. The revenue is over twenty mil round. When we did the deal, it was uh, it was ten. It was ten. So even at the valuations, probably like a hundred, close to a hundred mil, ninety mil exit. You probably no, no, no. Like... When 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 you when you're no? when you're when you're when you're raising um, from growth equity, the valuations are more conservative. Five right? because yeah, but more like in the in the in the sort of five to eight x. Right, more more conservative because they want you to play the long game versus have you peace mm -hmm. out, and also because yeah. they're liquidating the founders. If you are selling the whole company, you can get any value. You, you know, at good metrics, you'll get the valuation you want. But if you're not selling the whole company, and the belief is that hey, we're liquidating the founders, but keeping some skin in the game so they help continue run it, then the valuations are typically not that high. But like, I think the numbers usually on growth equity are. Five to seven x, um, and then do, do you and Alex get all of that amount, or you guys get fifty percent of that amount, or that's a, that's a, that's also a hot shot. But I, but like right. most of it went right. mo, 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 most of it went to liquidate uh, the founders and and one early employee. So here is a hot shot. Hot, hot right. sauce. I'm gonna do the right one. Okay, yeah. So doing some quick math. Probably like a, probably like a ten million dollar payday for you. Good, 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 good. You, 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 you. Blink. I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't accept or I, I, I won't accept or deny. But uh, <laughs> you, you, you're, you, you, you learned math well. So, <laughs> so, all right. The money is cool, but like you said, the money is just there. What's important and what has been there from the very beginning has always been community. 
community, to- your family, your relationships, right? Like, you know, all my life, I chased success looking for happiness. You know, we we have similar culture in the Asian culture, Indian, yeah. right? Uh, we come yeah. from a culture where it's like this definition of success is always money, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. be a doctor or be an engineer um, or something where like it's always it's always money is the definition of success. So the chase is always this definition of success. So all my life, I chased somebody else's definition of success, which is money. All my life, I chased money or success looking for happiness. And when money came... I found myself sick, depressed, in the worst health, and I realized eventually when I changed my life around that if I could have just scheduled happiness in my day-to-day without waiting for this success, I would have just been, you know, money wouldn't matter, right? Um, Unless you're into booze, babes, blow, and boats, right? There's only so much- You're you're really good at finding words that start with the same letter. (laughs) So I'm, I'm serious. Unless you're into a life, lifestyle like like a Dan Bilzerian lifestyle or an Andrew Tate lifestyle of booze, babes, blow, and, and boats, how much money do you really need? I'm a family guy, right? So you have a lifestyle. You want your kids to go to good schools. You want to live in a decent house. You want to live well, generally. After a while, after after that initial novelty money ceases to have its motivating factors so, so how much so how much money does that cost like you have three kids you travel a lot you know you, you and your wife sound like you, you you have like a good life like how much money that does that need like what is your I mean, annual annual spend i mean between schools um, i mean we don't have a mortgage in dubai we we have we rented a house in the bay area Actually, we were we were building a house in Austin, which we didn't end up moving to, and, and end up moving to Dubai instead. So, I don't know. Maybe you know, this is not a hot sauce answer, right? <laughs> maybe like three hundred three hundred thousand dollars, like twenty twenty k a month is great life. And when I say twenty k a month, yeah. when I say twenty k a month, meaning we live on the Palm Island in Dubai on the beach, yep. right? Um, three that, kids three kids going to private school. Um, that is the equivalent of living in Malibu. Yeah. That lifestyle in Malibu or Beverly Hills would cost me like 50, 60 K. And month. it might even be better living in Dubai. What do you think? It's uh, so Dubai checks a few boxes for me. No negative energy. Big one. People only discuss positive news. Uh, yeah. People work to live, not live to work. So yeah. you can socialize every day. Third thing, the service help, the, the, the country UAE is designed to give you time in your day. Everything is delivered to you, your doctor, your chiropractor. Every service comes home. Like it's not a thing to go somewhere to buy something in person unless it's like luxury, right? Like clothing, maybe high-end jewelry and stuff. But like going to do grunt work is not a thing. You get somebody to do it. And and services like nanny, driver, all of that is very inexpensive. So if you have another four or five hours a day, what will you do with your life? You'll socialize more. You'll work out. You'll spend more time with family, right? And so that puts you in a very peaceful, happy state of mind. The other thing is it's very safe. I've lost my wallet a couple of times. My parents, when they visit, they've lost their phone. My parents are in the 70s. They've lost their phone three times. It all gets delivered. I feel very, very, very safe. It's one of the safest places on the planet. And so those things matter, right? Now, now people say, you know, it's like, it's like Disneyland for adults or it's like the Truman Show, 
And mm-hmm. like, oh, why do you want to, why do you not want to hear bad news? So let me tell mm-hmm. you this. The news happens regardless mm-hmm. of you watching it or not. But think about the compound interest on people arguing on social, left-wing, right-wing, wokeism, cancel culture. Anytime you talk to anyone, they're debating this nonsense every single day. Think about the compound interest over years on your brain and your mental health. And, and the time that you're wasting talking about these things that you cannot control versus yeah. talking about things like, like, like with your community, with the founders, actually helping each other elevate and improve. Exactly. So... So, so that, right, extremely positive city, people live, people, people work to live. So huge social culture, like literally you'll find yourself making friends and socializing. It's a, it's a community driven country. So lots of communities making friends very easy. Everything is delivered to you. Like Dubai understands convenience. After all this while, I finally realized you chase success looking for happiness, but success is what? Success is freedom, freedom to do what you want where you want, with whom you want, when you want, on your dime, in your prime, on your time, right? So that Dude, is that is success. <laughs> you and your you and your rhyming <laughs> phrases. I like to rhyme, man. I don't know. I, I'm trying to keep up with you, but but see, that is that is really important, right? Success is freedom. So what good is money if you're chasing into your 60s and 70s, and you can't do what you want, where you want, with whom you want, right? You can't buy, you can't use that money to buy freedom. So think about it this way. We all chase this version of the American dream, but for most people who are not successful founders or semi-successful founders, for most people, this is the American dream. You work 60, 70 hours a week. When, as soon as I got to the States, um, as soon as I started working, the first advice I got was get in the office an hour earlier, leave an hour later, right? Then because most offices are in the city somewhere, you got to commute. So figure you show up to work an hour early, you leave an hour late, another two hours to commute. You spend all your time, especially if you're a married couple at work or getting early, leaving late, then running around, dropping, picking kids from school, right? Uh, Dropping them to activities. You have just enough money and energy left. So on the weekends, you do one dinner, right? Again, on the weekends, you're taking kids to activities and maybe a two-week vacation, which is, again, typically the most inexpensive vacation is go to Cabo or Costa Rica for an all-inclusive. You you eat this highly processed diet, which is not good for you yeah. but because, because you don't have the time. So you eat the quick stuff, yeah. which is not never good for you. It creates no. inflammation in your body. You want to buy a house of course own the house right you you live in so you you subscribe to a 20 30 year mortgage you take more loans to buy i mean you don't i mean you don't have to because you 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 sold your company so you're 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 good no but i'm saying i'm giving you the i'm I'm giving you the definition of the american dream right what most people subscribe to what i lived until 2020 until 2020 yeah and and my parents lived and our parents lived right is they chase they chase they chase right? Spend most of your time at work between commute, going early, leaving uh, late, dropping, picking kids, work about work, I call it, running around. And then you have just enough energy to have a nice dinner on the weekend, two-week vacation, mortgage, sales tax, property tax, you pay more than 50% of your income, right? Yeah. 
And so you're burnt. The, the system is designed to keep you in the system. Yeah. And it burns you out. It wears you out. And then what? You retire at 65. You know what is the life expectancy of um, Americans and Canadians? I think the average life expectancy is like 75. 70 something. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. have 10 years to live. And the thing is, when you are 65. And those aren't even your best years. You're, like, you're, you're those, older. Those are, those are not functional years. Exactly. Those are not functional years. So now what the system has taken away from you is your freedom and your time. You don't have the energy to work out every day, to prioritize good food, to prioritize good energy. The system is feeding you all bad news. Because think about it. When was the last time you discussed something good? Like, hey, I got a promotion or you know, I won the lottery. That discussion ends after two conversations. But anytime you discuss bad news, it perpetuates and festers and festers keeps and gets going. bigger. It keeps Why? going, right? Why, right? Be- because people, people, misery loves company. People, this negative energy sells. And that's why people spread it. Like in the news, they know what sells. Like a negative headline will go more viral. A negative LinkedIn uh, hook will go more viral always because people get hooked. They want to like, like I'm miserable. I want to see who else is miserable. And like, it's a natural instinct. And so all of this, I don't experience in Dubai. And, and I'm not saying move to Dubai. There are lots of countries around the world. You can go to Bali or you can go to Thailand where people choose to live differently, where people look at work, people's idea of work and life and how they consume things is very different, right? Eat healthy, w- live healthy. Life is not work. So you, what do you work? So, is, so what about all the community the stuff? Yeah, yeah. Work is the means. So what about all the community stuff that you're doing? Is that all on pause now? Like you, you used to do no, a lot no. with founders and traction all and that, all that stuff. All of that is still happening. I'm still doing the podcast, releasing every other week. We still release on YouTube every week. When I'm in Dubai, it's we have quite a bit of a following there. So we host dinners. Uh, collaborate with others doing meetups and then we'll do the tax traction conference again next year in person i think you know what's happened is with covid we've realized you know when when the covid hit in uh in 2020 we were predominantly an in-person irl community right traction Mm -hmm. conference the meetups etc we had to pivot to going digital and we started doing two live webinars a week we'd invite a speaker They'd give a talk or an interview like this, like what we're doing. And we'd had the audience join live and ask questions. Mm. So over two years, we did like 100 plus live webinars, right? That's a lot. Two a week is hard. And every time we'd get 500 to 1,000 people tune in. And in those two years, we went from a subscriber base of 30,000 to over 100,000, 97,000, something like that. Our, Our audience grew by just that consistency. So we do a lot of online stuff, the YouTube. I've stopped that. Uh, last year, at the, at the last traction conference, I said I was going to take a sabbatical, move to Dubai. So we don't do the live webinars anymore, but we're doing the recorded podcasts and releasing. We're posting it on YouTube, and then we'll pick back the in person soon. I'm a big believer in in person. By the way, we're right now oh, we're sight and we're right now we're sight and sound. Anytime you incorporate yeah. more than two two senses, you start to build stronger connections because we'd be taste, touch, smell. We'd probably do this for like three, four hours, build stronger bonds. We'd, we'd like talk about families, hobbies, other stuff, right? It's, when are you coming become, to Vancouver? Probably, uh, if not this summer, definitely uh, in the fall sometime. But I'll let you know. Likely, likely 
in the next few weeks. I'll keep you keep you posted. If you can make it by July 13th, we got about 45, uh, 47 founders right now coming out to uh, I'm huge on community as well. And I believe in um, I believe in niching down, knowing who's in the room. Uh, sounds like 100%. you're doing like like if you're doing founders, just bring founders only. Uh, because I feel like if you're if you're appealing to everybody, you're appealing to nobody. I agree so 100%. Like, yeah. The first the first rule of building community is figuring out your ICP, your ideal community profile or ideal customer profile, right? So like yeah. I was saying, we deliberately keep the size of traction in-person conference to 1000 because we designed the conference for us. We want to meet people, learn from each other and grow together. And as soon as it's so many people that it's not your same audience, like it's two down, three down, five down, then you can't connect anymore. The other thing is also very hard to manage when you're like traction is run by me, Ray, and like 50, 60 volunteers. It becomes really hard. So what we also do now with traction is we niche down further. So the day before the conference, we host a CXO summit at Grouse Mountain. And there's yeah. no content. All the content is conversations and roundtables over hiking, biking, axe throwing, etc. Fun food, games. Yeah. Fun games and, and conversation over games, right? Yeah. And we niche down further where it's like everyone invited there is a founder of a company that's at least three to five million in ARR or three to five million in funding plus the speakers. So that caps yep. it at 100, 150 people. And I'd much rather do that. And in Dubai, what I've been doing every month is host a private dinner for max 20 founders, 20 people, founders and funders combo. And it's like, you got to get nominated by somebody to attend. And it's just, it's just easy that way. I, I, exactly I, how I, I started it. Yeah. I, and I'd much rather, you know, I, I miss the days where we used to do the pizza nights as attraction with like the 10, 20, 30 people. Um, because it keeps the love, man. You gotta, yeah, you gotta man. nail nail it before you scale it. And 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 sometimes you wonder, right? Does everything need to be scaled to infinity? No. L let it naturally happen. If, if it does, if, if naturally everyone is spreading the word, and you suddenly got three hundred founders coming out, good on you. That's great. But that should not be the goal. The goal should be to make the last fifty people that are coming back as happy as possible because these are the people that built your community community kind of built on its own right you kind of you kind of I, I i see community as you're the guy that puts all the firewood and lights the fire and everything else is like you know oxygen and everything comes in and the fire kind of builds on its own you don't have to do much you don't have to guide it so much exactly right? exactly and that's what i i look at right the job is enabling. We got like 50, 60 volunteers who come together to put these uh, things together. A lot of it in the early days. And even like, you know, as a function of doing this community, we got a lot of services also for free or barter at Boast. Like, you know, the first website, couple of websites at Boast were built by community people in exchange. We gave them boots at the conference, those kinds of things. But you said it right, right? Like it, it comes together. And I have this, this saying when the world goes buffet, you should go Michelin star. And what that means is if everyone is going bigger and adding more content and adding more rooms and adding more stages and going 10,000, 30,000, 50,000, you should go the other way and, and, and be Michelin star. And this is, this is a play on Warren Buffett's quote where, where he says, 
when the world gets afraid, you got to get opportunistic kind of thing. When the world does one way, you got to you got to go the other way. Because French yeah. Laundry, the best restaurant of all times, they tell you exactly like the five things you need to or 10 things you need to eat. You have no negotiation. They serve it to you. And it's a small group <laughs> of people, right? It's a great business. Um, it's a great brand. You know, can you build your community that way? The thing is, our culture has conditioned us to think bigger is always better. It's not the case. Uh, your traction conferences are so interesting because it does both. It has the buffet, but it also has a Michelin star. You purposely curate the day before a smaller group of the CXOs that you know are the ones providing the value and the people that you personally want to connect with and that you, you feel the closest to. But you also open it up to everyone else on the day of the big for the main for the guest speakers and the, for the main stages was that did it kind of grow organically that way or did you know did you know that you had to in order to have a big event you needed to cater to the smaller group first you know it it it, it happened naturally right because you get all these speakers flying in and the speakers want to make valuable connections so then then the speakers dictate like hey I'm coming here I'm going to speak to a thousand people but I can't talk to a thousand people one-on-one -on -one, um, who are like 10, 15, 20 people uh, you recommend I talk to while we're here. And so yeah. then we create a nomination list and, and bring those people and, and that's how it gravitated. I still think a thousand people is not big compared to like all the other conferences around us. Uh, and that is predominantly dictated by budget. We're a bootstrap conference. We never had any budget and our budget, we, we break even, it's volunteer run, it's funded by sponsors and ticket sales, and uh, and it's the capacity, right? Eventually, I, I tell people, if you want to build a big entity, figure out multiple strategies to monetize your community and, and hire one or two people to drive it because volunteer run only goes so far, right? If you want to build a high-scale community, um, volunteer run goes only so far. Uh, donating profits or or you know mar uh, or what do you call it um subsidized monetization also doesn't work like monetize yeah. it figure out like multiple channels to monetize because that's the way you build something high scale and and to be honest events it's not where you make your money it's not at the events you don't you're not and making you know, we've money made, at the we've, made, we've made money at events that's the, that's the best part everyone says events is not where you make money but we've never lost money on an event who always made profit because it's volunteer run, which is which is great, isn't it? Mm. But, okay, but you know what? okay, okay, okay. But you know what? Because we have a playbook, it's at the hotel. We know what, and the food is always great. In fact, like Intercom's former CEO, she comes to me and she's like, I need to tell you something. This might be the best conference. She's like, best conference food I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Some of the best food I've had. She's like, why do hotel. you serve food like this? Yeah, but she, she, yeah. she's like, you know, most most people, even if they do hotel, they'll do like sandwich and stuff like that. We were serving like gourmet food. She's like, why do you why do you do it that way? I'm like, what are people going to remember? They're going to remember the experiences. A talk is not entirely an experience because it's a one way conversation. What exactly. will they what what they will remember is the aura, the vibe, the conversations they had, and a part of that experience is taste, the food taste. they had too. The right? drinks, so, yeah. So, the the yeah. so the the what unique things you can infuse in senses, which is taste, touch, smell, and 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 connection, right? All right, those those things those things matter. All right, so we're just uh, we have a couple minutes left. 
One last question for you, and then we'll just close it off. You have three kids right now. Which kid is your favorite? Man, no, no favorites uh, in in kids. They're all, uh, you know. I've I've spent I've spent equally less amount of time with all of them over the years. Um, but I have a nine year old. I have a five year old, and a one and a half. Right, and I guess you know, I I, I in the last year. I made a conscious effort to spend a lot of time with them. So I love them equally. I have a soft corner for my middle child only because she was born uh, four and a half months or so premature. She was born at, I think she was like less than a pound in weight. And she was Mm. this big, like she was like 10 inches or not even a foot, right? And so I saw her more from like looking like almost like a rodent. And wow. there's pictures of wow. her um, to growing this, you know, now no signs of anything. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. So every time, like, and she she probably plays on this. Every time I see her like sad or cry or throw a tantrum, I, yeah. I, I see that image of her where, oh, you know, we, we were sitting by the incubator praying for her uh, and praying and praying and praying for months before she came home. So I have a soft corner for her. Um, my nine-year-old is like, takes up after her mom in the sense like she's independent, smart. My wife got into med school in second year of undergrad without entrance exams. Bright, bright. Oh. And so my my wife on this, on this vacation to the States, she had to come a couple of weeks, uh, three weeks earlier for work at the hospital. So I came with three kids from Dubai, 16 hour flight. And we were, our first stop was LA for a wedding. My nine-year-old literally stayed up with me 16 hours of the flight. She proactively changed diapers for my son. She held him. She put him to bed. She made sure everything was okay. She went into mom mode for a nine-year-old. I'm like, that is insane. And and so- I, I keep telling my nine-year-old, I'll never work for anyone in my life again. But if you ever do a company, um, I will You'll be the first investor. I, I, I will be a first employee. 